Stuff always happens late at night. Tune in February 18th at 11 p.m. Only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. You're listening to Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville. W233AH Monticello. Live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York, it's a local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here. And it's a, it's a Wednesday evening this evening. Hope you're doing well. And Wednesday evenings, that's when we check in with the River Reporter. For the latest local news, it's our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. For that, we turn to the River Reporter's own Ruby Rayner joining us live on the phone. Ruby, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So let's see, where do we uh, want to start tonight? Well, uh, let's start out with um, altercation breaks out among Yulin firefighters. Uh, what, what happened in the Highlands? Yes. Um, in Highland last week, there was reports that there was an altercation between the former uh, town supervisor, Jeffrey Haas, and um, current newly elected um, board member of the town of Highland, Tom Migliorino. And they were um, at the fire station, the Ulan fire station, as they both um, worked there, and they they said there had been the fire chief and Haas reported that the nature of the dispute was political, quote political. That's all we know, um, and that they um, there was some type of physical altercation that occurred outside of the fire department. Okay, so uh, where what will happen as a result of this? What does this mean? Yeah, so. Currently, it's a little bit unclear as to whether um, there have been charges pressed or not. Um, Haas said, who alleges that um, Miglarino punched him. Miglarino says that's not entirely the case. Um, But Haas says that he talked to the authorities. That's a quote from him. Um, And Miglarino says that he, in a statement to the reporter, he said that he... um, had no, you know, he counter press charges. So it seems like there has been some type of charges. It's unclear what exactly those charges are. Um, it's possible that there'll be a court, you know, some type of court hearing in relation to this. Um, it, it's 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 not clear at this moment, but it's definitely um, and in in his statement in Miguelino's statement he does mention, um, you know, something along the lines of hostile you know, is the former town supervisor, and he needs to understand that he's the former town supervisor. So that's that's where that altercation stands. Okay, so there's the detail. It's one of those things that, like, I heard something about, but, you know, you kind of want to hear the facts from the reporter, and that's uh, as far as the facts go for now. We'll see what happens next. Yeah, those are the facts for now. So um, last time you were on, we were talking uh, again about uh, housing, but also how the housing issues locally overlap 
with uh, drug addiction and the opioid crisis, which in Sullivan County is is pretty severe. Some of the highest rates of uh, overdose in New York State. Big news last year is that Sullivan County finally got that uh, high-intensity drug trafficking area designation, which has led to a number of things. But now you've got uh, reporting here uh, in the River Reporter that uh, says somebody's going to start analyzing us and tackling uh, this fact that we that Sullivan County sticks out so much. What's the update to the the HIDTA designation, the HIDA? Yeah, so this high intensity drug trafficking area designation, which um, officially happens in the summer, one of the major things that it allows it gives you know to Sullivan County with this designation is. Um, an allocated crime analyst who's dedicated solely to Sullivan County to analyzing um, data um, in relation to opioid crime, and hopefully that will help um, prevent and um, stop the proliferation of drugs is the the hope. So this, this new crime analyst who will work out of the Sullivan County Sheriff's Department and started just, I think it was one or two weeks ago, so just recently, um, will start working in the county and analyzing statistics. And hopefully that will aid in mitigating the opioid crisis that has, has been ongoing and, like you said, um, some really statistics that stand out in Sullivan County. So it's only been a couple of weeks for this uh, new crime analyst looking into this. Have they found anything yet? Yeah, so I'm... I haven't I haven't actually spoke to them yet and I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of one of the things that I'm hoping to do cuz I'm super interested to hear from them what specific things they're keeping track of, what's important, um and learning a little bit more to share with with listeners and readers what what is being analyzed and what this could potentially do to help the situation. But one thing that was super interesting that um, the River Reporter editor, Pamela Chagotis, found when she was looking through data in regards to opioid use in the county is just the, and I think it's really one thing that I'm curious to ask the crime analyst if it's something they'll be looking at, is the amount of opioid actually prescriptions that were occurring in 2021. So that, at, this, at that point, at 2021, you know, the opioid crisis was definitely a known, like it was known, it was understood um, on some level, and there was already kind of different procedures and um, government action in place to try to stop that. And in Sullivan County, there's some really high numbers for um, prescriptions, and particularly there's one statistic around opioid naive prescriptions, which means somebody that who like has not received an opioid prescription for the past two weeks receiving like a new prescription from the doctor. So I think it's, it's important to note that, right, yes, there's drug dealers and yes, there's proliferation of um, drugs, you know, in, illegally, but that there's also, um, particularly based on this data in Sullivan County, um, there's, they're coming from the medical, there's prescription coming from the medical field as well, which are introducing opioids into the community. Which makes me wonder, are, is the data that they are looking at, will that include uh, hospital super, and health data? 
Yeah, I, I hope so. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't spoken to the crime analyst yet, but it's something that I'm going to be reporting on and will answer. Because like you said, if that's not, if that's not an illicit trade, uh, at least uh, on the surface, and then that's something that might not be in the crime data. Right, it's possible. There's also like, you know, pill mills and, and stuff where it is legal, but it's still an abuse of the system. So it could be something that they are looking at. Um, it could not be. And if they aren't, I think it's something that the drug task force um, in Sullivan County, which has a medical pillar, um, is certainly something that they could, uh, would be interested in and definitely looking into. Okay, and um, now I want us to I want to get an update from you on a story that I know uh, Tim Bruno's been following on Radio Chatskill in the mornings here, uh, and this is what's up with Sullivan County Head Start. Uh, but I want to I've got a clip to play here, and I just kind of want to give folks the background on this before we get into some of the the more recent developments, uh, Ruby. But I mean, the if if you don't know, listener, uh, nearly 400 families are without child care and about 100 providers are without employment after Sullivan County Head Start program abruptly closed late last week. So Sullivan County Head Start posted a message back on Friday saying that it had closed until further notice due to unforeseen circumstances. Uh, Dan, who's Sullivan County's communication director uh, for Sullivan County government, on Monday afternoon released a statement saying that county officials were working with local stakeholders, Head Start staff, and state and federal representatives to address this situation. Uh, just yesterday, uh, Carrie Garvin, director of the Office of Head Start at the Administration for Children and Families at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, provided a statement on Zoom to the community in Sullivan County regarding the closure of the nonprofit Sullivan County Head Start Incorporated, but didn't take any questions. I just want to play you a a clip of that statement. Again, this is from uh, the, the head of Head Start at the federal level. But Sullivan County Head Start's program leadership notified the Region 2 Office of Head Start very late last week to make us aware that they were closing the program temporarily. And they also let the Office of Head Start know at that time that they had already notified staff and families of their intention to close the program temporarily. Earlier that same week or earlier last week, the program also made it known that they were running short on federal funding that was getting in the way of their ability to continue services. So I just want to emphasize that this decision to temporarily suspend services or to temporarily cease operation was a decision that was made solely by Sullivan County Head Start's program leadership, and it is not and was not an action that was either required or initiated by the Office of Head Start. Now, the Office of Head Start is now considering next steps to ensure that the services for the children and families of Sullivan County can continue as quickly as possible. There is no interest, there is no plan to remove Head Start services or to remove Head Start funding from Sullivan County. The funding, the services will remain, and we will continue to work either with Sullivan County Head Start, Inc., or any other entity that is willing and able to continue services in this community. 
Okay, and that's Kari Garvin, a director of the Office of Head Start Administration for Children and Families, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So as you could hear in, in that clip, uh, and, and if you watch a full video, you see no questions were taken during this Zoom call. It was just a, about a six-minute long statement. County legislators said they're continuing to seek a meeting with leadership of the federal Head Start office. It's unclear what alternatives uh, affected families have in Sullivan County, where the poverty rate, by the way, is 16.4 percent, according to the U.S. Census data. Census data. Uh, it's higher than the national average of 11.5 percent. Uh, Executive Director Bertha G. Williams told River Reporter facility closed because of a lack of funding. And this is where I'm going to bring uh, Ruby Rain from the River Reporter back in. Is is that is that uh, accurate that it's that it's a lack of funding? What what have you guys found? Yeah. So unfortunately, I can't. There's not much more information. Um, but they like there's an entity which is what you're hearing in the recording that. Um, is the provider of these services, which is a national, right, like federal service. So it's, it's, it's not, that's why they are making it clear <laughs> that it wasn't that they didn't, you know, that they ceased funding to Sullivan County. Um, it's that there was an issue somewhere between the provider of the service in Sullivan County and receiving the funding and then administering services. And it seems like there was a lot of miscommunication about, you know, having kind of foresight into that happening because they didn't alert people until Friday that they were going to be closing on Friday. So Mark Molinaro, um, Congressman, he, he said that he's trying, and I think this is what Dan Hoost is referring to, is that he's trying to find temporary um, child care and, you know, provide the services that have affected, like you said, those nearly 400 um, individuals who were receiving Head Start services, um, and then in addition, find a permanent solution of somebody who can continue to provide those services. Um, And he seemed to say in his statement, Molinero, that uh, it would be someone different. It would be a a new um, person who would uh, liaise and administer and provide those services in the county, but it's not certain what will happen with that and what the permanent solution is at this point. Yeah. And I guess as of Monday night, representative Molinaro, um, you know, part of the details that, that he put out there was that Sullivan County Head Start received about uh, just over three and a half million in federal funding to operate through March 31st. And another award, approximately the same amount would have been awarded the program to continue past March 31st. If they applied, and so that raises the, the question: If they are already approved with those funds to keep them going through the end of March, why did they shut down at the beginning right. of February? It seems like we're still asking the same questions. Exactly, it's it's definitely confusing, and I, you know, if they had enough funding, presumably according to Molinero through March, then why even now would they be uh, having funding issues? And Sullivan County uh, said that it'll provide additional information when they've got it. They're still looking at this, too. Anyone needing assistance should call Sullivan County's Health and Human Services. I'm going to give this number twice now, 845-292-0100. That's 845-292-0100. And uh, anyone who wants to express their concerns, if the federal-level leadership of Head Start, uh, Sullivan County government supplied a feedback link 
on their Facebook page. So, uh, yet again, another story, Ruby, where we're going to be waiting to see what happens here. Um, I guess let's just real quick stay on the issue of funding. Um, Upper Delaware Council's facing a funding issue. Why, why does the UDC have funding issues? Yeah, I think I've, I've maybe mentioned this on here to listeners, but the Upper Delaware Council, who um, ensures protection of the Upper Delaware Recreational and Scenic River um, based on the river management plan, which um, uh, is a you know code that they've decided um, will ensure protection. They have had the same amount of funding since their um, inception um, in the late 80s. And so they're, they're, this has been brought up a couple of times at their, at their meetings that they you know, really need more funding in order to provide the services that they do. And, and anytime a, a town, township, or uh, is putting, you know, a new, a new project of, of, of any type that is within that kind of recreational and river area, the council reviews that plan and makes sure that it's in accordance and that it's, um, you know, environmentally conscious based on those standards that they've outlined. So they feel that in order to continue to provide those services to protect the Upper Delaware, um, that they need more money. And they receive their money from the uh, line item in the National Park Service budget. So they put this call to action on their website um, for people to appeal to their government officials for more funding. But because they receive their money uh, federally, and they're a 501c3 nonprofit, they actually, that's technically lobbying, and they can't do that. They were advised not to do that. So they're in a bit of a, like, a sticky situation in which they really need to appeal for more funding in order to provide the services, but they can't um, appeal in very, they can't ask, you know, and lobby the government to increase their funding. So that's kind of where they stand now. I'm interested to see what they they've spoken to some uh, offices, um, you know, not explicitly about um, more funding, but just in general about the organization and what they provide. So maybe there'll be a funding increase or a change, but I right. think that it is hard to expect, you know, an organization to have the same amount of funding as as they did so many decades ago. Yeah, and get, to thing. get by with the same amount of money not adjusted for inflation. Ruby, uh, uh, well, and I'll tell folks that Upper Delaware Council is online at UpperDelawareCouncil.org. Uh, River Reporter is online as well and on newsstand tomorrow. Ruby Rayner, thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we've escaped to the islands for the annual All Exotica Show. We've got tunes by Martin Denny, Big Kahuna and the Copa Cat Pack, and the Waitiki Seven. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join me where the music's always shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill. This is a local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. 
And a new beginner farming, a new beginner farmer program has started at the Cornell Cooperative Extension in Sullivan County. It uh, aims to help historically underserved farmers enter the field through mentorship, workshops, group training, and more. Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scotton is joined by the program's manager, Taylor Adams, to discuss the beginner farmer program's goals, challenges, and offerings. The beginner farmer program was uh, created by myself. Um, the extension office here and the ag and food systems team really felt a need for like something specific that supported beginner farmers based on the number of inquiries they were getting in from beginner farmers specifically. So they applied for a grant with the USDA and they got it. It's a grant through the American Rescue Plan Technical Assistance Program. Really long name. That's what the USDA does, but it's called ARPDA. Um, and it's funding the program until at least 2027. There's a bunch of other organizations throughout the country, um, and territories of the United States that are also funded by this program. And it's also technical assistance for farmers in a variety of different ways. But because of the funding, there's a lot of really cool pieces for the program that we at Extension weren't able to do before. So because the amount of funding we received, um, we're able to like pay farmers for their time and labor with their involvement in the program. So, for example, we have a bunch of different pieces, but we have a mentorship program, which is farmer to farmer mentoring, and we pay our mentor farmers an hourly rate. And then the mentees get a $10,000 stipend in quarterly installments throughout the year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we also have a relationship with the Hudson Valley Agribusiness Development Corporation. Um, and we are through a contract paying them to provide like free consulting for beginner farmers who go through our program. Um, but the program overall has like these bigger pieces. Like we have the mentorship program every year. Um, we have all of our workshops and events. We host uh, networking events as well for farmers because we want to ensure that beginner farmers in this region feel like they're welcome into the agricultural community. Um, and then there's me, and I'm just like a resource all the time for farmers, whatever they need. Um, and then we also, for the program, I have an advisory committee of like seasoned farmers, beginner farmers. Um, they're compensated for their time, and they helped me guide the program as well. Um, so there's like a bunch of different pieces. Um, but I think the big emphasis is we have like public free workshops for farmers um and then we have this like mentorship program also that supports it um and then another really key part of the program and part of the grant as well is that the program is really trying to support historically underserved farmers so that people that have been farming for less than 10 years um women owned and operated bipoc owned and operated um small farms organic farms veteran farmers and farm workers. So we're just the reality that it's harder for folks who might not identify as like male or white to really enter the farming world um, and trying to make sure that this program supports that and helps break down any barriers that it might have been up for folks before. And obviously things aren't easy for beginner farmers. What are some of those top challenges for historically underserved farmers in starting out? Yeah, I mean, I think just like access to knowledge, I think knowledge can be quite hoarded in a lot of different realms and especially in farming. Um, 
I think funding, which is something we're trying to support with like free classes and on the mentorship program, because like that startup funding, that startup capital is really hard to get a hold of. You can't really get grants for that because grants are usually looking to see that like you have some like buy-in already. So we hope that the mentorship can help um, those groups of beginner farmers at least have some sort of startup capital to work towards their goals for their business. It can feel like really exclusive. I think from like a personal perspective, I mean, I'm a white woman, so I have a lot of privilege, but it was even rare to see other women in farming. I really had to like go out there and find that. And I was really lucky I was around a community of female or like femme farmers. But I think it can be really exclusive if you don't like look the look of like what farmers traditionally have looked like in the past or really big successful operations have looked like in the past. Um, like with these networking events, I'm really trying to like create an environment that anyone who's interested in farming feels welcome and that they can come into this environment and like have their questions answered or like meet someone else. Um, but also knowing that like they are welcomed in general into the agricultural community. Yeah. It's like really hard to get into farming, mm-hmm. especially if you don't come from a background or like a family setup that has money to support you to get into that. That's really hard. Um, it's a lot of like independent work to really set yourself up and farming jobs do not pay enough. No. So. There's not really a lot of saving you can do beforehand if you're a career farmer going into owning and operating your own business. Right. Unfortunately, a ton of barriers, which for lack of better words, really sucks. (laughs) For sure. And like you kind of just mentioned, sharing knowledge seems to be a big part of the program. And I know that you do that through workshops and mentorship. What is the importance of sharing knowledge with beginner farmers? Like, why is that such a big aspect of this program? It's such a big aspect because I feel like there's so much out there about farming and everyone does it differently. And like hearing all of those perspectives of like what your farm could look like, it doesn't have to be some like massive operation or something like that. But knowing what it could look like and all the op like all the possibilities of what your farm could look like and how you want to operate it. And I feel like sometimes that's really hard, especially if you're a career farmer, you're only seeing like the farms you're working at. And it's just really hard to get that knowledge. I mean, I think I didn't go to school for farming, so there's like no formal way to really seek out that knowledge set. Um, And I think that's something we try to support with this like more formal mentorship opportunity. Um, But it's really like hands-on experience. So that's why a lot of people do it through jobs, like a career farming um, but we're trying to support that you don't have to do it that way, or there's other outlets of receiving or finding this knowledge that can help you like know different pieces for your business. Um, but yeah, that's the hard part about farming is that there's not like a specific like formal structure for learning. And but I also think that's a great part about farming is that you don't need to go to school to do this. Um, it's like a career that you can learn from doing itself. The program works with an advisory committee of farm owners in Sullivan County. What value does hearing directly from farmers kind of bring to the program? Oh, my goodness. So much value. I mean, I'm not from here even. So like knowing what the farming makeup looks like here. um, But all these different backgrounds, I mean, the advisory committee is a lot of different types of operations. So like livestock, 
um, like vegetables, herbs, um, how they sell, like different ways of selling. So some people sell it like a brick and mortar, a CSA, a farmer's market. Um, so like all of that really helps build the program. And then they all have different perspectives from like their farming background. So like how they started farming, where they got to where they are now, who supported them, how they were able to figure that out. It's just like a really key role to figure out like how we can create really meaningful events and workshops that can touch base on all of those different ways to like enter the farming world, different types of production, different types of selling, um, just different types of business models. So it helps us create really meaningful programs. And I think a more, I don't really like the word holistic, but like a more holistic approach because there's all these different perspectives leading it in. And then it's also helpful to have seasoned farmers on our advisory committee, but we also have beginner farmers. So getting like beginner farmers telling us now what's hard and like what they need to also help guide the program instead of like what was hard 10 years ago or 20 years ago, like what do beginner farmers need now to feel more prepared to enter like owning and operating their own business. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is like, I'm just always a resource. So if you're nervous to come to an event or just like want to start talking about farming or like how to get started, like I'm always here to talk about it, run through ideas. I can come out to your property, like whatever feels helpful for you. I'm just here to support. That was Taylor Adam, manager of the Cornell Cooperative Extension's Beginner Farmer Program. If you have an interest in farming, the program is hosting a multitude of events in the coming months. Tomorrow, February 8th at 5 p.m., there is a farmer mixer at Upward Brewing Company. On March 13th, there is a workshop on marketing tools. And on March 14th, they're hosting a class on agricultural funding. To register and learn more, you can visit the Sullivan Catskills Beginner Farmer Program website. In Liberty, I'm Marin Scotton for Radio Catskill. And thank you, Marin, and thank you, listener, for listening. Come back tomorrow evening. We'll do it all over again right here on the local edition. And do keep listening on air to Radio Catskill and always streaming, live streaming at WJFFradio.org. Daily's up next. This is Radio Catskill.